Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 through 33. Here is an actual story about somebody who experienced some of those very things that the psalmist was just talking about. Matthew chapter 14, starting in verse 22. These are the words of the living God. Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this passage today. We thank you for the story of Peter. We thank you for Jesus, the Deliverer. Help us to behold him today in our text and to keep our eyes fixed on him as He speaks to us through His Word today, by the power of Your Spirit, in Jesus' name, Amen. So today we're looking at the life of the Christian and some of the struggles that we must endure in the Christian life. And if I could rename the sermon, I would call it Doubting Christian. I think I called it the pattern uh, for a Christian life. So maybe we'll call it Doubting Christian when it comes out on the internet. And it would be Doubting Christian with a question mark. So, do Christians doubt? And it's kind of got a twofold meaning. Do Christians doubt? And are you a doubting Christian? Doubting Christian with a question mark. In our sermon today, we're going to see that the Christian life is not always what we would expect it to be. We will look at the way that we think it's oftentimes going to be, the way that it really is, (laughs) where Jesus is when we're dealing with the Christian life in the way that it really is, and how even after we know the truth about the Christian life, we oftentimes are still doubting and have little faith. Why is this? Why do we waver in the faith? Why do we doubt? Uh, In our sermon today, we will seek to answer that question and find out what we need to do in order to not become a doubting Christian. So back there in verse 22... We will read 22 alone. We read, Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. So a couple things to point out here. The text says Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. That is the other side of the Sea of Galilee. 
So what is going on here? Why does he make them leave and go before him? Well, getting the context before us will help us to understand what is happening here. Jesus has just fed 5,000 people with five loaves of bread and two fish. And he has gathered a considerable following at this point in his ministry. Last week, we saw that he had sent the apostles out on a mission to preach the kingdom and to do the miraculous. Well, apparently, they gathered some attention (laughs) when they did that, right? Uh, Herod, King Herod, who was ruler over uh, one of the regions that they were doing doing this in, the region they're doing this in, um, said that he thought John the Baptist had been raised from the dead when he heard of Jesus, because John the Baptist created such a stir And Jesus spoke um, like one of these prophets from of old. Uh, Others who heard about Jesus and saw his ministry uh, thought that he was a prophet, like one of the prophets from the Old Testament. So Jesus and his disciples are making some noise in the Roman Empire. So what did they do? They go over to the east side of the Sea of Galilee, possibly to try to get away from the people, but the people follow them over there to the other side. And before long, they all end up together in a desolate place, and there's no food for anybody to eat. And so Jesus miraculously feeds everybody. And when he does that, they begin to think that he is the prophet who was to come. That is, he's this great deliverer who would one day come and save the people from all of their Roman oppression. John, in his gospel, says at this point, the people actually wanted to take Jesus and make him into king by force. And so immediately, Matthew tells us Jesus made the disciples get into the boat, and he sends the crowds away. And that word made means to compel by force in the Greek. Now last week we said Jesus came proclaiming that the kingdom of heaven was at hand, and he was performing miracles. And he sent the disciples out to do the same. So if he was the kingdom, and he brought the kingdom of heaven with him, why doesn't he want the people to make him into king? Why does he send the disciples out in the other direction and send the people away when they try to make him into king? Well, because his kingdom is not that kind of kingdom. They wanted him to come in and sort of take the kingdoms of this world by force, through like a top-down takeover. But the kingdom of God does not come through a top-down takeover, but rather through a bottom-up subversion. He says later on to Pilate that my kingdom is not like the kingdoms, my kingdom's not of this world. That is, it's not like the other kingdoms out there in the world. It's a spiritual kingdom, which begins in the hearts of men and then begins to work itself out into their lives. And in our Sunday school class on the Gospel of Mark, we've gone over this theme over and over again. The disciples sort of have an upside-down view of what it means for Jesus to be king. They they fundamentally misunderstand the nature of uh, Jesus' kingdom. And so he doesn't want to feed into any of that. And so he sends them away. But I think many times we, too, have a fundamental misunderstanding of the nature of the kingdom of God. I think many times we have an upside-down view of what it means for Jesus to be king. I mean, isn't this the way that it is 
many times in our lives, especially when we first become Christians. And the world has this sort of Pollyanna view of Christianity where everybody just walks around with a smile on their face all the time and everything's all good, everything's gravy, no trouble, no problems, it's all good. But you see, that's a fiction. The Christian life is not the easy life. If you want to live the easy life, you need to go back out there into the world and serve the devil. And he will make it really easy on you. Trust me. Uh, He will allow you to coast on in the warm breeze right on down into hell. If you're going to live a worldly life, that's what he wants. He won't bother you. But the moment you start to live a Christian life, you are going to run into conflict with the kingdoms of this world. Jesus says if you're going to follow him, you're going to have to die a little bit. You're going to have to pick up your cross and carry it. You're going to have to pick up the burdens of this life and carry them. You're going to have to deny yourself and the desires that you have. And sometimes it's going to be really hard. I'm just going to tell you that flat out. When I first became a Christian, nobody told me that. But when I started reading the Gospels and saw some of the things Jesus was saying, I was like, whoa, this is, this is not what I was thinking, right? Jesus places demands upon the life of the believer. And he does not promise that the Christian life will be easy. And there's a lot of that in the world today, right? A lot of this prosperity stuff, you know, come to Christ and everything is going to be dreamy afterwards, you know? It's not that way. He calls us to live a different life, a separate life, a holy life, a life that flies into the face, flies right in the face of everything that you will encounter in this world. And friends, sometimes that's going to make it hard on you. So let's look at what it's actually like if you live the Christian life. Uh, Back in verses 23 and 24, He says, And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. So Jesus goes up there to pray on the mountain in the calm of the night, and he sends the disciples out there into the middle of the sea, and they end up in the midst of a storm. Right? Did you get that? So here Jesus wanted to get the disciples away from thinking that he's this great military king who's going to come in and take the kingdoms of this world by force, and he sends the disciples out into the midst of the sea, and they end up in a storm. So for the disciples following Jesus, sometimes that meant you had to do things the hard way. Here Jesus goes up on the mountain to pray, and he says, go over and I'll meet you around the way. (laughs) And they end up in the middle of a storm fearing for their lives. The text says they were a long way from the land. The other Gospels show us that they were in the middle of the sea. So they're all the way out there in the middle. That the waves were beating up against the boat and that the wind was against them. Okay, They were going down. All right? And in the mind of the disciples, this must not have made much sense. I mean, here is Jesus. He's the king. He is the Messiah. 
the Savior. He's been performing all of these miracles. And now his closest followers are sent out into the sea, and they're going to die alone without him. What gives? You see, sometimes, friends, if you follow Jesus, if you listen to Jesus, if you do what he tells you to do, you will end up in a storm. Sometimes you might find yourself thrown right into the midst of a battle. And and we begin to wonder why when this happens. We say, I'm a Christian. Jesus is Lord. Why is all this stuff happening to me? Why am I constantly running into one conflict after the other? Why is there one issue in the church after the other? Why do I got all this nasty stuff in my life that keeps rearing its ugly head and I've got to continually try to root it out of my life? Why does it seem like everything's always chaos? I, I run into one whirlwind experience after the next. Maybe it's because there's demons all around you and they're always trying to stir things up. I don't know. <clears throat> if you're a Christian, you can mark it down. The devil has you in his crosshairs. And you've got a target on your back. And there's going to be a fight for your soul. Moreover, you are a sinner who has a new heart who's trying to live a holy life. Conflict, right? So you're going to have to constantly make war on your sin. Day in and day out. And it's going to be a battle. Sometimes, as a Christian, you'll go through periods of waiting. You're asking God why things haven't changed. Why does that thing that I have been longing for always seem to remain just beyond my reach? Sometimes you'll go through times of loss where you lose one loved one or one thing after the other. Uh, You'll go through times of pain and suffering where you have to bear up under affliction. And you wonder where God's at in all of these things, right? Where is He at? Why hasn't he showed up? Well, let's see where he's at here in our story. Verses 25 through 27. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it's a ghost. They cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. So finally, Jesus comes walking to them in the fourth watch of the night. And the fourth watch of the night would be between 3 and 6 a.m. So if they left right after dinner, they've been out there in the sea battling this thing all night long, right? 3 and 6 a.m., he finally comes to them. Mark's gospel tells us that Jesus saw them from the mountain where he was praying, struggling. Jesus saw this thing going on. And yet... He waits until they are at their wit's end and about to perish before he comes to them. Now, when the disciples first see Jesus, they're terrified. They they don't think, hey, there's the Master, there's the Savior, we're about to be delivered. They say, oh no, it's a ghost. (laughs) So Jesus immediately identifies himself. Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Now, the fact that he came walking to them on the water should have been enough, right? Who walks on the water in the Old Testament? Who who opens up the water so that his people can travel through safely? Well, it's God, right? Um, And he says, take heart, do not be afraid. It is I, that is I am. It's literally I am, which is ego I me, 
which is a name for God in the Old Testament. He's saying, I am, do not be, do not be afraid, I am. Or take heart, it is I. Take heart, I am, do not be afraid. Excuse me. Um, now, the disciples might not have picked up on that, but the fact that Jesus has been performing miracles and he's walking on top of the water should have been enough, right? But it wasn't. <clears throat> so Jesus quickly identifies himself. It is their master, the one that they have been following. He is there with them in the storm, and he commands them not to be afraid. Look, friends, Jesus was not absent in the midst of the disciples' trials. He knew what they were going through. He saw their struggles from the mountain, and at the right time, he came to them in their affliction. Now, why does he wait until the third watch of the night to come to them? Well, because Jesus likes dramatic endings. Jesus likes white-knuckle thrillers. Right? Why? Because that is the way in which He is going to be glorified the most, and that is the way in which you are going to grow the most. Think about it. God is telling a story, and He has woven you into it, and sometimes He's going to put you through some really tough ordeals. Why is that? Well, so that you can learn to trust in Him and learn to look to Him during those times, and then He'll show up and deliver you out of it and bolster your faith so that when those storms come later on in life, you learn to cling to Him more closely, right? Think about it. Why would He have to show up if everything was just honky-dory all the time? Right? Why would you have to learn to trust in God if everything was just... Smooth sailing. And besides, that would be a boring story anyway. Right? We like nail biters, and so does God. And so, enjoy the show, (laughs) which is your life put on display for the world to see in the theater of God's glory, as Calvin would say. The Christian life will be a struggle, but God will be with you in your struggle, and He is going to grow you and teach you to trust in Him through those struggles. And He's going to glorify Christ in your struggles, the one who struggled and suffered throughout His life. Because the suffering and struggles of the Christian magnify the suffering and struggles of Christ in the world. Let's see... But you see, friends, even after we learn that God will be with us in our trials and that He will deliver us through them, we still sometimes lose sight of this fact and begin to doubt. Let's look at Peter, verse 28. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. Beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. So Peter is not questioning whether it is the Lord here. He is rather acknowledging it by saying, call me out onto the water if it's you. In other words, since it is you, I know that you can make me 
walk on top of the water. And so he asked Jesus to command him to come out on the water. And with this, he is acknowledging that Jesus is sovereign over the storm. He's sovereign over the waters. He's sovereign over the winds. And he's able to make Peter walk on top of it. And and Jesus says, come. With that command, Jesus enables Peter. Did Did you notice that? Peter doesn't just go walking out there. Jesus says, come. And he enabled Peter to walk on the water. But what happens? Peter takes his eyes off of Jesus and he begins to look at the storm around him and he starts to sink. Instead of looking at Jesus, he looks at the storm. It says that he saw the winds and was afraid. Now we don't see the winds, right? What do we see? We see the effects of the winds, right? So he, he saw the, the storm blowing the water back and forth and he panicked. <laughs> I'm on top of the water and there's this storm. So the moment he took off his, his eyes off Jesus and began to focus on his surrounding circumstances, he started to, stink, to sink. And at that point, Peter does the only thing he knows to do. He cries out for the Lord to save him. And the text says Jesus reached down his hand and lifted him up. Right? <clears throat> and then the text says they get into the boat and the storm ceases. So who is they? It's Peter and Jesus. Right? So Jesus saves Peter, and then he gets into the boat, and he saves the disciples. So when he's with the disciples on the water, with Peter on the water, he's safe. And when he's with the disciples in the boat, the storm ceases. And then they respond in the only way in which it is proper to do so at a time like this, and they worship Jesus. That's what you do. He's sovereign. He's Lord. He's just delivered you. He saved you from certain death. You worship him. This is God. And only God receives worship, right? Jesus is Lord. Jesus is God. But I want you to pay attention to something here. Jesus rebukes Peter. Why does he rebuke him? Because he doubted. He doubted. He says, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? And to be of little faith here does not mean that Peter, or the other disciples for that matter, were not Christians. doesn't mean that they didn't have Christian faith, that they were unbelievers or something like this. It just means that when they got into trials, their faith wavered. Their faith wavered during times of trials. To doubt is to be double-minded. It's to not be sure which way to take, to waver, to be divided. And this is exactly what happens when the apostles are tested. They come up against a trial, and their faith wavers. Excuse me, and Jesus says, Oh, you of little faith. He wants them to learn to trust in him wholly uh, during their trials. When he's out there performing miracles and everybody's eating their fill of bread, everybody, uh, they all have strong faith, right? (laughs) Strong faith. Uh, We've got everything we need. Um, But whenever the battle begins, their faith tanks, right? And it is often the same for every one of us. Beloved, it's, it's really easy to get distracted during the storms of life when, when everything is good and lovely, when everything is going smoothly. It's easy to see Jesus, right? But whenever the wind starts blowing that water into your eyes, your vision gets blurred. And when you start to hear the sounds of the waves crashing, you get scared. Before you know it, the waters come up to your neck. And it's during those times 
that we need to remember that Jesus is right there with us in our trials. He's right there. And that He is the one who saves us. He is the one who stands on top of the water and is able to lift us up out of all of our entanglements. So we need to fix our eyes on Jesus. To fix them means to keep them there. Don't allow them to wander. As a Christian living in the world, you will run into times of doubt. Sometimes you will waver in your faith. Peter did. The apostles did, and you will too. And this doesn't mean that you're not a Christian. It doesn't mean that you're an unbeliever. It just means you're looking in the wrong place. You've allowed your eyes and your mind to wander into a place that they ought not, and you need to refocus. Sometimes you will run into conflict as a Christian. You will run into times of uncertainty. Sometimes you'll be afraid. Sometimes you will have to wait. Sometimes you'll suffer. There will be times of sorrow, times of loss, fear, darkness and depression, worry, panic. You name it. The Christian is going to experience it. And in all of these things, you can begin to become distracted and lose sight of Christ, who is the author and perfecter of your faith. Listen, friends, we start the Christian life by looking to Jesus in faith. And we continue the Christian life by looking to Jesus in faith. And you will finish the Christian life by looking to Jesus in faith. That does not ever change. You must always continually look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. And during these times, you must remember that He is not absent. That He is right there with you in your struggles, just as He was with the disciples. He was in the midst of the storm with them. And if you keep looking at Him instead of all this other stuff in your life, He will help you to walk through the storms. He'll help you to walk through the trials. So how do we look to Jesus? How do we look to Jesus? Well, during times like this, we pray to God the Father and we ask Him to help us. Um, We look to His Word for guidance. We look to other Christians for direction and for counsel. This is looking to Jesus. But more than all that, we look to Jesus Himself, right? Who is the ultimate example. Think about His life and the temptations and the trials that He endured and the suffering and the pain and the anguish and the sorrow that He went through. And yet, through it all, He trusted in God to deliver Him out of these things. Kept trusting in the Father, and indeed, He did. Jesus is the ultimate example. But guess what? He is not just an example. He is a living, breathing, active Savior. Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, and He is praying for you even now. Right now, He's praying for you. You're a Christian. You're going through a struggle. Jesus intercedes for you. The writer of the book of Hebrews says that He lives to make intercession for us. He lives to make intercession for us. That is, He continues to act on your behalf, even now, in heaven, Christian. He continues to pray for you during your times of weakness. He continues to come to you during your times of 
struggle. And He is able to deliver you, for He is a powerful Savior. One who understands our struggles, since He Himself endured them too, right? But yet, He overcame them all. So He's able to deliver you out of them. He knows how. So in the final analysis, the Christian life is not the easy life. It is a life of faith in which we must look to Jesus constantly to be our Savior. Sometimes the going will get tough. Sometimes we will go through struggles. Sometimes it will be really, really hard. Just going to let you know that right now. But it's during these times that we need to cling to Jesus all the more, for He is powerful and able to save us and deliver us. Many times in life we will begin to doubt and our faith will become weak. Our faith will tank. And that is because we're not looking in the right place. We're not looking to Jesus. We're looking at our surrounding circumstances. And we need to look to Jesus. For He is with us even in the storm and He is able to deliver us out of everything and anything that may come our way. Let's pray.